welcome to the board game dojo. My name is Eric, and I'm here with Ben. Say hi, Ben. Hi, Ben. Oh my goodness gracious! This is how we're going to start this show. We're trying to gain people. <laughs> we're trying to gain followers, and this is what we're going to do today. We are going to be doing a debriefing episode all about S and Ben, and I really haven't talked that much to each other about the games that we've played uh, during and after S and or. Uh, how our essence were too much. So we're going to have a bit of a conversation today. It's just going to be a kind of casual, laid back kind of episode where we're going to talk about some games. We're going to talk about our Essen experiences because it was both of our first Essens and it was Ben's first convention altogether. And so well, thank you for joining us today. As always, whether this is your first episode you're listening to, you listen to every episode or somewhere in between those two, we really do appreciate you taking the time out of your day to listen to our little podcast. So right away, though, at the top of the show, we have an exciting announcement. And really, I'm going to let Ben explain it because we're going to have some cool stuff that we're going to be giving away. Ben, you want to take it away? Yeah. So whilst we were at Essen, um, I was going around introducing myself to various publishers, designers, those kind of things. Um, and I had the idea of um, getting some games signed um, for you lovely people, basically. So rather than selling these signed games, what we're going to do, be doing is raffling them off. So at the end of every month, there'll be a different raffle. And uh, to get your raffle tickets, uh, there's a few different ways in which you can do it. And you can get sorted out, uh, ready to go uh, right from this moment. So raffle ticket will be given for uh, following either myself or the board game Dojo on Instagram. Uh, we'll put the links in the show notes below so it's nice and easy to follow us and get those raffle tickets. Um, you'll get them a raffle ticket for following travel games on Facebook. You'll also get a raffle ticket for following us on Twitter and YouTube. So all those links will be in the show note. Um, as long as you are following us, you'll be entered into that raffle every single month for each of those tickets. So worth following, I would say. And each month there'll be a different signed game. Um by a different publisher or artist or whatever we've got in in the pile and we'll also well in travel games we'll do a bit of a blog about that designer that publisher or whatever to, to kind of coincide with it so you get a bit of information about what's going on uh with that publisher that artist what other games they've done um and what we think of those games the other way in which you can get more raffle tickets per month is for every £10 spent in travel games, you'll get an extra raffle ticket added to that list. And then we'll do a prize draw at the end of the month. Um, draw whoever it is and send them a game. Um, for within travel games, if you're within the UK, whole thing comes out to you. We do ask, though, if you're an international customer and you win a game, uh, that you would cover the um, additional fees on for shipping uh, to your country so we'll cover the price up to the uk shipping but uh, if you can do the other that would be great if not and you don't want it you can always pass it on to someone else and we'll draw another person and you'll have one week to claim your prize once we've emailed you so uh yeah keep an eye out we'll try and contact you on multiple platforms um but don't miss the games if you win them and that's about it really yeah, it's going to be exciting. And this is actually going to be in conjunction with uh, our holiday giveaway that we did last year. Uh, we're doing the same thing again this year for Board Game Dojo. So that means that there's going to be multiple, multiple uh, giveaways going on. There's going to be multiple games being given away at any one time these next few months. So yeah, give us a follow and you're going to have lots of chances to win some free, hard to get games, I think. And then the cool thing is that Ben uh, got some of them signed. So that's going to be really cool, I think. Yeah. So um, for this, I was going to say, 
So for this month, um, our giveaway will be, you'll get a bit of a head, heads up on the uh, Board Game Dojo podcast ahead of the actual posting for Travel Games. Uh, we're going to be giving away a copy of Nightmare Millionaire signed by Sign Baku with a nice little meeple hand drawn in the corner. So everything's signed on the inside of the box so it doesn't get all scuffed up when it's in your uh, board game collection. Um, yeah, so first giveaway will be Nightmare Millionaire. Suitable for Halloween. <laughs> yeah, cool. And yeah, we're going to be uh, doing a review of that game next week so uh that'll be exciting stuff uh a kind of exciting way to to start up the podcast i think so now uh let's get into a little bit of our essence and um kind of something that kind of stood out to us maybe during the convention that we maybe weren't expecting or um what our overall impressions were of it so ben was there something that kind of stood out in your mind during your time at essen of you know, oh, was it, you know, more crowded than you thought or anything like that? What was the thing that stood out most to you? Um, I think I have a bit of a weird perspective on this. So I was dashing between meetings to try and sort out um, distribution, basically, to get more games into the shop. So I kind of had a very strong focus hour to hour of where I was going, what I was doing. So I didn't pick up as many, like, I didn't see as many games that I didn't know were going to be there as you might expect. But also I didn't feel like it was as busy because I didn't have time to queue for those big games. So I never sat in a queue for longer than five minutes because mm-hmm. if the queue was long, I didn't have time for that. So I just carried on. So my impression was that there wasn't really any queues. And mm. it, well, it was crowded in certain pinch points. Like the gallery is always crowded. You kind of have to be like a salmon and just kind of ram your way through. Um, but apart from that, it didn't ever feel too overwhelming i think i don't think i could play games in there Uh, there's just too much background noise and sure um but it it was it was fine for demonstrations and fine for kind of buying and things like that so yeah i had had a really good time with it to be honest the numbering is a bit confusing (laughs) um of just how things are laid out uh you think you've got it and then it starts doing weird things like a suddenly it doesn't follow on to b in the direction you think it's going to go um and my top tip if anyone drives to Essen and parks in their car parks make a note of where you parked because we lost an hour and a half walking around the multi-story car park trying to find our space to drop off <laughs> a load of games uh and that was not a fun experience apart from the security guards of Essen who thought it was hilarious that we were carrying around like arms fulls of games completely unaware of where our car was <laughs> so um, yeah that's a top tip um, the second day we parked specifically on parking space 404 and remembered it by the 404 error when, in um, Google where you get the little dinosaur that pops up. So it was like, where have we parked? 404 dinosaur. And you do like the dinosaur arms. <laughs> so, yeah. And if the people of Essen are listening, they should paint the floors of their car park a different colour for each floor because that would really help. <laughs> At least you can go, I'm on the pink floor or the yellow floor. But um, that's our problem for not writing down the numbers. But <laughs> I'm sure we're not the first and we won't be the last. So uh, <laughs> That's just yeah. part of the Essen experience, Ben. It is, yeah. <laughs> in fact, I think the longest queue that I got in was one for a spir- giant spiral potato on a stick. That was the biggest queue that I did. Oh, yeah. that, that The food is always um, like people kind of have their staple foods that they go to. Uh, eat during Essen and it does and the food changes every day like some or some of the stuff changes some of the stuff stays the same I think every day right yeah it does uh I'm just trying to find what the source was that we were laughing at oh yeah so whilst we're in the spiral potato on a stick um 
queue. You get to the front and then you get the different sources that you can put onto the spiral potato on a stick. And it starts off, it's like pom sauce, potato sauce, that's fine. Uh, barbecue, paprika, chili, or knob launch. We don't know what knob launch was, but it did make us laugh and we were decided to avoid putting that on our potatoes. Oh. So, um, yeah. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah. How about you? How did you find your trip to Essen? Yeah, it was it was good. It was definitely very different than the Tokyo game market. Um, def- just just a little bit bigger. Um, you know, a little bit less of the the Dojin games for sure. But um, I think the biggest thing that I I wasn't really expecting to happen that happened was thanks to everybody who was listening and subscribed to us on all of our channels. Um, we walked up to some of the booths and they knew who we were and it was just what a strange feeling it was of like oh yeah you're from the board game dojo yeah 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 i'm like what do you know and they'd be like like i think the most excited one was one of the guys who worked at one of the taiwanese booths yeah knew who we were he was so excited that we were interested in this game and i'm like wow this is such a weird feeling but there's another thing that like i want to bring this up because there's an interesting point that I want to you know, talk about, which is that we got review copies for games for the first time. This is the first time we ever got review copies for things. Um, so that's kind of exciting. But at the same time, I was always kind of like, you know, all right, yeah, I'm going to, I will, of course, like I will review your game. That would be fun. Like I might do a podcast on it. I might do YouTube on it. Um, but I need you to agree that if I do a review on it, I'm going to do an honest reviewer. You know, and some of them had already seen this like import or not series that we do on YouTube. And it'd be like, okay, like by giving me a review copy of the game, you're allowing me to say that it might be worth the import, but it might not be. Yeah. Right. And making sure that's like, I'm not going to like take it and basically be like your hype person for your game. And so we were actually rejected by two of the booths. (laughs) That's interesting. For for that, they were like, oh, we really wanted more like marketing. Yeah. For it. And I'm not really sure if that's more like these were smaller publishers. So I don't know if it was more like inexperienced with how like reviews should be like you're supposed to give them a review and then they can say whatever they want or whether that actually exists in other places of like review copies that are more like hype pieces. Yeah. But I just thought it was interesting. But for the most part, everybody was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally understand. Totally understand. Yeah. Cool. So mm-hmm. I think of the. 30 or 40 games that I received during Essen. I think I counted eight that I got as review copies. And uh, for those that are listening, I always, always, always make sure that if it is a review copy, I say it right in the intro that I received it as a review copy and know that I uh, said that I'm going to be giving an honest review of these games. So, yeah. Even even a like negative review, depending on who, who it is that's reviewing, sometimes... I'll watch a reviewer that doesn't like the same kind of games as me. And if they give it a bad one, then I'll go, yep, that's definitely for me. Um, so, you know, a negative review is never as negative as you think it's going to be. But, you know, I think that's probably, you're probably right. They probably are new to their board games. They probably feel very protective over them. And yeah. Yeah. It was a bit of like, have confidence in your game though, a little bit mm. of like, but um yeah, I think I think that's an interesting point though of like, you know, what is a negative review? I mean, other than if you just say like the game is broken, like the game doesn't work. Yeah. Like that's 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 bad. But like for the in general, I think that we're starting to have enough reviews on our podcast, enough reviews on YouTube that I think people are starting to get the hang of like 
what we like and what yeah. we don't like, and then can base their, uh, you know, whether they think they like it. Like I have certain people that I watch on YouTube and certain podcasts that I listen to and that I have like a host that I know that I agree with a lot and a host that I know I disagree with a lot. And yeah. then, yeah, whether they like it or dislike it is like, okay, am I going to like that game or not? Oh, they don't like it because there's, you know, it's multiplayer solitaire. Okay, cool. I'm okay with multiplayer solitaire. So if that's the reason they don't like it, I'm probably going to be okay with the game. So moving on to the next thing, did you get to, you, you said you had a bunch of meetings and stuff. Did you get to meet anybody that was super interesting or did you have any fun encounters while you were in Essen? Um, yeah, I had a really, really nice um, friendly meeting with uh, Sashi and Sashi. That was a very pleasant experience. We had a bit of a like talk about um, our own like games that we play, where we play them, those kind of things. Um, why he he was very interested in hearing why I like Japanese games so much, why I started importing them, and why I started playing them in the first place. That was quite a lot of that meeting. Yeah, I, I thought that was quite a, like it was just like a friendly sit down rather than being too businessy, if that makes sense. Um, we had an interpreter in the middle. Um, it was quite funny because. Um, so he was like, I speak a little bit of English. And then I responded with like, uh, Hongo. and then we just laughed at each other. And then <laughs> we went, went through the um, kind of interpreter in the middle for the rest of it. Um, it was an experience trying to talk through an interpreter. Um, you kind of have to back, back everything off and break it into smaller chunks, which is when you normally go into the rest of the business meetings and you speak English, you're kind of short on time. So you, talk a lot uh in large chunks and then they'll talk a lot in their large chunks so it, it's a very different flow to it um but that was really nice um and they were really like uh interested uh and excited about the logo for uh, travel games because we got Cybepu to draw that for us um and they know they both know each other uh, fairly well i think they play games together so uh, we had a bit of a chat about that and about art styles and things like that. So, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it, uh, that particular meeting. Yeah, we had some very nice ones. We had some very, the European ones tend to be very business feeling. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like, I had a few demonstrations of new games that coming out that might be a good fit, and it was very procedural, <laughs> procedural, and it didn't really sell me on anything. Whereas, if someone turned around and went, this is fun because, and they and you just get into it, it's good. But if someone comes in and goes, this is a whatever mechanism, first turn you do this, and then I might do this, and then I do this, and that, yeah, those kind of meetings were boring, <laughs> if I'm honest. Um, they need to work on that a little bit. Um, there was one really, like, it was basically rock, paper, scissors, and I was playing with the demonstrator, and then uh, my brother-in-law, Tom, was kind of sat back watching us have this demonstration and it's like in rock paper scissors where someone goes scissors and the other person goes scissors and then you both do it again you both get rock again but it was at, with animals so it's like i got an owl i got an owl i got a bear i got a bear and this went on for about 10 minutes <laughs> and, <we're> like, <laughs> and then at the end she just went i got a thing that was higher up the food chain you got a low one but she doesn't know what you've got she had to guess she got it right she won and i was like that was a boring and b like <laughs> really badly explained like i don't understand how this is a game uh so needless to say we didn't get that in stock <laughs> um, <laughs> but um yeah i don't understand the kind of dry mechanism pitch it doesn't 
doesn't work for me. Um, I'd much rather someone come to me and say, this is fun. Look at the bright art. This is the interaction or the not interaction. Um, so, yeah, that was interesting. Um, how how were your kind of meetings with people from that kind of um, podcast and YouTube perspective then? Oh, it was good. We got some good stuff filmed for YouTube shorts and Instagram reels. We uh, we started TikTok, oh. which I never <laughs> thought I was going to do. But Simichan is on that kind of yeah. stuff. Like she got really good at doing that stuff while we were at SN. I was so impressed. But this is now going to be the, this is going to be the uh, premiere episode of Eric sits and complains for three minutes. Um, <laughs> so sit back and enjoy the first ever episode of Eric complains for three minutes. Um, I think I heard more people ask me like, like DM me on Twitter and stuff about what the heck was going on that it seemed like every Asian publisher was running out of games on the Thursday or the Friday. And I seriously, like I could not believe how poorly executed some of the essence stuff was from some of the, like, especially Japanese game publishers. I don't know what they were doing of like, you would think for four days, you would like, you would equalize it out so that you were selling, you know, if you, if you brought 400 copies, because I, I totally get the whole thing of like, you are having to fly all of your games across the world. So you're not going to have as much in stock as a European publisher would be able to have. Like the European publishers had like a thousand copies of their games sometimes, right? For the really popular ones or 500 copies of a game, something like that. And so I understand that they weren't going to be able to do that, but then they would sell out of them on Thursday morning. And then they wouldn't have any for Friday, any for Saturday, any for Sunday. And it was, and then I got so many like messages of like, can you ask them like where I'm going to get this? And so I'd like ask them where, okay, you know, okay, you sold out at Essen. Congratulations. That's super awesome. When are you going to get more in stock? And they're going to be like, oh, I don't know, next year. I don't know. And it's like, that's a really bad impression. Cause I think that this is such a good opportunity for people to get a hold of games that they normally can't. Yeah. And then on the kind of the same thing, there were some of the Japanese game publishers brought people who couldn't speak English or German. And then that, if I'm honest. And yeah. Um, or they had very, very basic one, or they would only have like one or two people at the booth who could speak. Like they'd have like one person at the booth who could speak English, one person at the booth that could speak German. Yeah. And so if they were busy, they were unable to help people demo the games. Yeah. And it was a bit like, what? That's such a like bad impression, I thought, because I was like, hopefully, you know, I was hoping people could get excited about some of these games and we'd get a little bit more buzz. But I think that they almost shot themselves in the foot. Yeah. By um, doing that. I was going to say, like, a lot of the ones I went to did have, they hired a translator um, to be there. And maybe the translators were tied up in the meetings. I don't know. Um, but yeah, well, Especially the bigger ones, they had some really good translators. Um, that was that was really helpful. Um, yeah. yeah. As for Man. the like, as for the like print runs, I I've got two kind of suspicions on that front. I mean, I haven't been to Tokyo Game Market, but my understanding of it is, you turn up with your case full of games, you sit at a table, you sell your games, and then once they're gone, you get up and you go, and someone else takes over the table. I think. Yes, that, that does happen sometimes, especially with the Dojin groups. Yeah. Yes. So I'm wondering whether they approached Essen with that mindset of like, once I've cleared what I want to clear, I'm done, I'm gone. Um, the other part to it is I wonder 
if it's to do with the strength of the yen against European currencies. So mm -hmm. if they bring it into Europe in a large batch, the tax on that is going to be in the wrong currency on the wrong side, and they're mm -hmm. going to get, like, yeah, <laughs> it's going to cost them an awful lot to do. But there's ways around it. <laughs> like, uh, But, yeah, it's whether they've got that infrastructure or how big that company is when you actually get down to it, I suppose. Um, sure. I know Korea Board Games, for example, they have a German distributor now for a lot of their games. So they had quite a good stock of stuff. And also you can get it after the show. Um, mm -hmm. But those smaller ones, maybe less so. Because um, I don't think you could sell Nokosu dice at the price point they were selling it at, which I think was too low anyway, um, by importing it. So these clearly just filled a suitcase with it, maybe two suitcases with it, and then split the cost of those two suitcases. Um I think that's why the numbers of that were so low. But yeah, it, it doesn't give a great impression either. So No, and that was the thing. Like, I think No Costa Dice is a really good example of this because uh it was really I think there was a lot of people looking forward to getting a copy of it. Like SM was going to be their chance. Yeah. Right. And the way if you haven't been to Essen, so the way it works is that the doors open for people at 10. But if you work at the event, you get in at like eight or eight thirty. And if you're in business, then you get in at nine. And so what happens, generally speaking, and this is very unlike Tokyo game market. So the Asian publishers did not know this, uh, or at least the Japanese game publishers did not know this. Uh, I think I think Mondu from Korea knew about this already uh, is, you know, people who are working the event will generally go shopping before the event, the like actual doors open because they can't do shopping during the event themselves because they're working the different booths. And so I got in at uh, 8.45 because the people did not know that I was not supposed to be in there at 8.45. Um, I just happened to get there early and I wanted to wait in line for the opening of the doors and they were just like, oh yeah, go in. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Um, and there was already a line for Nokosa Dice. Yep. And this was like the first day. And so we were looking at the line and before the doors even opened, like there was going to be so many people in line that they were going to sell out before the doors even open and he refused to like uh sell sell it before the doors opened because it's just that you don't do that at tokyo game market like you don't sell anything until the doors open yeah that's the rule <laughs> um but it was interesting because uh i think he tweeted like sold out of all of our copies like most of them like i think it, they brought 200 copies and it was like 150 of them they sold the first day and then they kept 50 for the second day. And it was basically, again, the same thing happened where most of it was employees that bought it yeah. the second day. Um, and then he was like, oh, yeah, we turned the booth from a Nokosu Dice booth to like a, uh, they're from Toyama Prefecture. So they turned mm -hmm. it into a tourism booth, which I'm just like, I find the humor in that. <laughs> but I, I think a lot of people, <laughs> but I think a lot of people were quite angry about it. You know, especially because, you know, maybe they couldn't get there during the weekdays. Yeah, yeah. I, had a, I had a really good chat with him. I've given him a bit of a, like, when he does his next print run, I'll bring it in. Like, I'll import a load of them and get it into Europe. So hopefully that cheers people up and they don't have to wait in a two-hour queue for it. Um, but yeah. um, I, I think the other part of it is, like, I think both of us kind of go, well, a lot of people who listen to this kind of podcast as well, are in a surprisingly small bubble where we get excited about these games and 
it kind of echoes round in there that we're all excited for this one particular game, in this case, the Kosu dies. Um, and we think there's a lot of demand for it. But on the scale of everyone going to Essen, I suspect it wasn't as much demand as we think. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think he was a bit cautious of being trapped, like sitting in the bubble and going, oh, this is going to sell out really quick. I'll print off 2,000 copies and then get there and five and like 110 people turn up and go, I want a copy. And then everyone else ignores him. Um, that's sure. a lot for him to sit on. And I imagine he hasn't got that much storage space. Although they, yeah, for sure. game, so they do have a shop, but you wouldn't want your shop full of one game. <laughs> so I think he was being for cautious sure. as well. But yeah, he was, he was a nice enough guy. Um, oh, yeah. There's another one that didn't have that many copies because that sold out quick. But that's quite an easy one to get hold of. So at the moment. <laughs> and that was the premiere edition of Eric Complains for Three Minutes, which I think lasted longer than three minutes. But I think a lot of people want to hear about the games that we played and the games that we got at Essen, um, because there's so many cool uh, Essen releases. And in the next couple months, they're going to hear a lot about it from me. So I'm only going to talk about like maybe one, maybe two today. But I'm going to let Ben, I'm going to let you talk about a lot of the games that you played. So why don't you start us off? What was one of the games that you got at Essen that you've gotten played already? Yeah, so I haven't managed to play that many. Um, Didn't manage to play many when I was there. We played two. We played... Uh, no Thanks, which you mentioned in the podcast previously. Uh, and we also played Similo, um, the Halloween edition. Um, so that links quite nicely to one of the games which I was really excited to get when I got to Essen, which was the Similo Essen 2023 edition, um, which instead of having different characters on the cards, it had an assortment of, I'm going to guess, somewhere around 50 different games that were released at Essen this year. Can you talk a little uh, bit about what Similo is in case people yeah. haven't played? So Similo uh, you, is a cooperative game. Um, it's a bit like code names, I suppose, but with pictures. So uh, you'll deal a card to the clue giver, um, and then you'll they'll make a note of what that is in their head. You then deal them another 11 cards out, shuffle that up, and then make a nice grid um, pattern on the table of face-up cards. So you'll have, if it's the Halloween edition, which we were playing, you'll have like Dracula, Cthulhu, uh, a witch, a ghost, so on and so forth. Then you deal out five cards to the clue giver, and they can either put the card in line, same orientation as the cards that are displayed. And that means the card you are looking for and therefore want to keep, because you want to have the last card face up be the card that they were trying to hint to, uh, is similar to this one. So same orientation means it's similar. Um, if you turn it 90 degrees or tap it, if you were playing magic, magic uh, then it's not similar to. So it messes with your head a bit at first because you're like, do I need to get rid of these or do I need to keep these? I'm not sure. Um, but you've got a group to kind of bounce that around with and get it right. Um, so using that picture clue, it could be the background of the card. It could be that they're smiling in a particular way. It could be the clothes they're wearing, or it could be something to do with the folklore behind it. That all so it could be really- like if you're trying to get them to guess a witch and the witch is wearing a hat and then you draw a card out of the pile and that character is also wearing a hat. You can't yeah. really tell them that that's what you're hinting at, but you will put it like maybe uh, turned straight up so that they're, okay, okay, something in this picture is similar to the witch. Yeah, and then they so can dis- everybody can discuss. Yeah. Oh, this character is wearing a hat. Maybe the other character is wearing a hat too, and we eliminate all the characters that aren't wearing hats. Yeah, that's correct. Or something. So in the okay. first round, yeah. So in the first round, 
uh, you get rid of one card from the display and you flip it over. And then the clue giver will say, uh, yep, you survived, or nope, you've just turned over the wrong one and deal out again, change the clue giver, carry on. Um, so if you get it right, you then move on to the second round. They'll draw up another card so they've got a hand of five, pick another one to give a clue with. They can put it as similar or not similar. And the clues that you've given previously stay visible. So they're still true. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you make a mistake early on, it continues through and the clue giver will be there in their head going, oh, no, they're doing it wrong. <laughs> and also they can hear the discussion at the table, but they can't contribute to that discussion. So when people start going down a wrong line, it's incredibly painful. <laughs> Are you sitting there going, oh, no, what can I do to like get this back on track with my next turn? So on the second turn, you turn over two cards. Third turn, you turn over three cards. Fourth turn, you turn over four cards. And then you're left with two, and you've got a 50-50 split. So um, if you you can try and narrow it down so you've got two very different things left at the end. That's usually a good tactic. Um, but it doesn't always pan out like that. Um, so that's I, I think it's a really good game. The expansion to that is if you have two decks, so let's say you've got Harry Potter and Animals decks, um you use the harry potter ones in the display and the clues that are given are using the animal cards that's really funny so you'll be like if you're looking for voldemort you might go it's similar to a snake or like Mm. and if you're trying to get rid of things it just makes it very abstract and very funny um so i quite like that as a little game so what makes the essen version different so the essen version is different is that it uses artwork from all these different games that were released at Essen. The problem being, it A, doesn't pair up very well with the character cards of all the other decks. Like, trying to say that Harry Potter is like Dixit Revelations is a bit of a stretch. (laughs) The other problem is that there's 50 of these cards, and I recognise probably about 10% of them. And I was there. <laughs> so if, wow. yeah, like if, unless you've done a super deep dive into all the big box games and all the little box games and all sorts from the whole of Essen, you're not going to know what they are. So you can't even go, well, if you play it just with the Essen deck, you can't even say, well, that one's a deck builder and that one's a deck builder. So we can thin it down that way. You would have to have such a knowledge of games. I don't think it's really playable. Um, so, so it's, it's more, more of a collector's item, it sounds like. Yeah, it's more of a collector's item, more of a novelty, I think, than an actual playable game, unless everyone at the table wants to do a deep dive of 50 games on Board Game Geek, um, which I don't really see. So that was a bit of a miss for me, which is a bit of a shame, but, you know, I've got a memento of Essence Spiel, so that's always good. How do you rate Similo as a game in general? Very, very... It's one of those games that you'd think you could pick up at, like, a petrol station or a service station like it feels like one of those kind of games but actually it's very very solid i prefer it to code names um which is quite a big <laughs> uh bit of praise i think um because you don't have to be like really good at like getting words it's just instinct um i also think it's like a faster version of mysterium which i quite like mysterium but it can drag a bit um so i think yeah. that's actually a really good comparison because i think if you have played mysterium your feelings about mysterium will carry over to similo um so actually when we were done playing because you because we played similo all together at that dinner that we played no thanks at um when we left 
and we were on the way home, Simachan actually mentioned that like, uh, I didn't really like Simolo very much. And I was like, oh yeah, it's very similar to Mysterium and you don't like Mysterium. Yeah. And she's like, oh, exa- like, exactly. Like, I, I don't like that kind of game very much. But for me, I like Mysterium and I liked Simolo. Yeah. So it is, it is very much of like, but you're right. Like Simolo has a lot, uh, I think it's a lot lower barrier to entry and it's a lot cheaper too. Like what, what, oh, yeah. what does a pack of Simolo cards cost? About seven or eight pounds, something like that. So yeah, so not it's not much. a 40 pound box like it was yeah. be, would be for Mysterium. Simolo takes about 10 to 20 minutes. I mean, you can eliminate yourself very quickly. It could be two minutes <laughs> if you get it wrong immediately. Um, yeah. But, and it, and it kind of is a nice, um, I always think Mysterium yeah. works really well with people who don't know each other that well because it like gets them talking about something. Similo is is kind of the same way of it. It really does work with people. Like we were, we were at a table with people who couldn't communicate fluently with each other in the same language. Um, no, you know, it's like, from different cultural code, backgrounds, things like that. And so, but there was no problem because it was, you know, we're all looking at the same pictures and trying to guess, okay, this one has a purple background. You know, you don't need to have the same cultural background to be like, I think that the purple background matches yeah, or something like that. Whereas if we pulled out code names at the table, that would have been a very hard game to kind of span languages and backgrounds and everything else. So, yeah, I, I think it's, a re- it's one of my favorite travel games and you can play it at two. It's still good. But it's a whole lot harder because you don't overhear those discussions. So we mm-hmm. worked out that you have to kind of vocalize your thinking whilst you're doing it. You can't just go, ah, oh, that one and that one. Like you have to kind of talk to yourself if you're going to play it two player, but it's still very good. And it's a very small deck of cards. If you take it out of the box, you know, it fits in a tiny pouch or little deck box. So um, the other thing that we do, so this is me and Sam, is um our animal set is in Japanese. So there's a little bit of text that tells you what the name of it is and also a little bit about what it does. <laughs> so it's got a bit of like folklore for the Halloween ones. The animal ones, there's not too much text. Um, but it means that when we play the card, we can practice our Japanese words for animals. Um, like, so your vocabulary increases a little bit and it's it's just a little bit of fun. Um, so you'd be like, penguin or whatever it might be. <laughs> Um, or Harry Nazumi, um, if that's correct, for Hedgehog. <laughs> yeah, yep, yep. Uh, um, but yeah, we play quite a few games in Japanese, so. And the Japanese publishers really liked that we did that because they thought it was cute, apparently. But um, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, that's similar. Um, top tip for anyone, if you ever meet up with uh, Mr. Eric of the Board Game Dojo, do not let him pour your beer. He will turn it into an ice cream <laughs> And oh I have gosh. photographic evidence of this. <laughs> like more than two. That was the worst beer pour I have ever done. <laughs> in fact, that I was an know, embarrassingly bad beer pour. I think I think it needs. I might have to put some uh, photographic evidence of your amazing beer pouring skills. Oh my <laughs> goodness! So, <laughs> so embarrassing. <laughs> no. Here um, I was trying yeah. to be nice, pouring your beer, and I'm just like, and it was like 85 percent foam. <laughs> <laughs> So, oh, that was yeah. embarrassing. I, but can you tell us about uh, a good game, though? Please tell us, t- or maybe did you play a good game? Please tell us you did. I did. I, 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 we'll go for the good one next, and then we'll go to the mediocre one for last. So um, this one I know that you already love. Um, I've played it a few times, uh, but not with my game group. So turned up this week uh, for board games, with a bag full of random stuff from Essen, um, as you do. Um, 
And the first game that we I got out of the bag was uh, the new version of Ito. Um, I got it out of the bag. I explained the rules and everyone's faces glazed over and like, oh no, this sounds terrible. This like our group doesn't like the mind, for example. It doesn't generally mm-hmm. like party games too much. Um, but everyone was like, okay, we'll, we'll humor him. We'll we'll play this game. It doesn't sound like it's too long. So we got that out. Uh, the first round, I was doing, being too strict with the rules. So rather than it being you draw a card and then you pick out of the f- five cast five categories within that range, uh, I was like, no, we're doing the one that matches the number, um, which was a little bit strict. <laughs> I also wasn't letting people change their clue, which apparently you can do. Um, we fixed all that later on. Um, but we had some excellent discussions that like my everyone's face hurt at the end of it just from laughing. Um, and continuing my like um exposing my own stupidity in this podcast. So previously we had cockroach poker where I give people spiders. In this one, for useful things in a house, where zero is least useful and 100 is most useful for a 62 i decided to put christmas tree uh, <laughs> in my head this makes complete sense but to the rest of my group none at all so a christmas tree in my head is apparently more useful than a whisk <laughs> um, oh <laughs> so this this topic came up all night long after the christmas tree incident so it was like yeah, the Christmas tree is more useful. You can use it as a whisk. You can break a little limb off. You might get a few green bits in your, in your bread, <laughs> but, you know. Uh, yeah, this Christmas tree is going to haunt me for years, I think. <laughs> but uh, I think that's the sign of a good game where you can kind of get those in-jokes and kind of keep them going. And everyone laughs. Um, and we'd finish around and it'd be like, it took us ages to win, I'll be honest. Like, winning in that is a lot harder. We didn't try the expert mode of having two cards to play because we'd have no hope. Um, but yeah, it was really fun. Um, everyone was talking about it. And at the end, we'd, we'd kind of played it at the beginning. We played a couple of other games. And at the end, it was like, oh, we've got, you know, 10 minutes. Let's play this again. And um, we played it with different people. Um, yeah, really, really good game. Really glad I picked that one up. Um, and the nice thing to know is the one that was available at Essen, I don't think it's available outside of Essen, unfortunately, because it's more of a pitching tool by the sounds of things, uh, where they're trying to get other people to take it on and then apply art to it, I think. Um, but it's it comes with the old Japanese cards in miniature, and so you've got the artwork for those, and then you've got the kind of wiggly-waggly line one that I think we've complained about a little bit before. <laughs> um, so you get both sets of one uh, zero to 100 cards, should you want to play with smart. Um, yeah. And you can also play other games with it if you wanted, if you want to do some proxying. So. Yeah. I'm, I'm always, you know, it, it's weird doing reviews online because you, you get nervous kind of when you kind of have a very strong feeling for a game or not. Um, and that was probably one of our most positive reviews we've done. If not the most positive review for a game that we've done ever. Yeah. Um, and you know, I have had nothing but success from that game, but yeah, I always get nervous when other people play it and then I get like, okay, please tell me, please tell me that they like, at least thought it was okay. Please, please, please. You know, right. And <laughs> yeah. so I'm so glad to hear that you you enjoyed it. Cause yeah, that, that is one of the things that I, I had, I do love about it is that there's always usually uh, one or two clues that you just 
you will remember for a while because it was just so like, what were they talking about? Yeah. Or whatever. Or you have a moment where people disagreed with each other so much that it doesn't even matter if you get it right because the conversation was just so fun to have in the first place. Like I will always remember um the first time that I played it with my parents and Simiton. And the and the category that we had picked was like um popular breads. <laughs> And you would think that that would be like a pretty straightforward one, but it came down to like, you know, different countries had different popular breads. Yeah. So where it was like, Sumitran was like, oh, um, a croissant. Every every bakery has a croissant. Yeah. My parents were like, oh, that has to be like a one, because no bakeries <laughs> have a croissant. Being from like North yeah. Carolina, yeah. and it's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was like such a good discussion that we were having yeah. because. Because it was like, I needed to take over there because I'm like, all right, I think she actually means it's very, very popular because where we're from, there's croissants everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, actually, the topics is a good point because I thought that was really funny because at the beginning, we got loads of very normal ones. So it was like useful things in a house, um, favorite sweets, like normal things. And then towards the end, we just landed on this one and it was like, Surprising things that come out of your butt. I'm <laughs> like, what do we do with this? There are definitely some weird ones, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you'd think like the weird ones would be easy, but actually that was one of the hardest ones we had to do because you're like... Was that one also Christmas tree? No, no, it wasn't. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been if, it had got, if I'd got a number that was very surprising, but I got a very unsurprising one, which is even harder to do. <laughs> so, Yeah. <laughs> But it, it does, would be very it surprising, does, though. It does, yeah, it, <laughs> it does generate some good laughs. So, yeah, that's um, going up my list quite considerably, to be honest. Oh, that's so good to hear. I'm so happy to hear that. Um, how about you, anyway? Have you got any more games that you've played since, or have you been suffering from S and lag? <laughs> no, uh, there was one that we we tried. Um, another one. Uh, this one is from Korea. It's called Art Frenzy, and there are two versions of this game that was done. Um, there's one that is the symphony edition and one that is the gallery edition. And so this game works on an app. And so really all you get when you buy the game is just like a deck of cards. The gallery edition has a bunch of famous artworks on it. Mm -hmm. um, and then the symphony edition just has like some really nicely done artwork uh, representing different, um, usually classical music pieces, but it's some that are from operas or ballets and things like that as well. And there are a bunch of different modes that you will have on the app, like battle mode or regular mode or whatever. But we just tried out regular mode for this one. And it's a speed game. Mm -hmm. So there is a variety of hints that they might give you. They might describe the artwork using like four different words. And you will have to like slap it on the table first, what artwork it is that you think it is. Or um, for the Symphony Edition, it might play, it will play you part of the piece and you have to try to get that piece first. And so I think it, it goes without saying that, like, especially the Symphony Edition, like, you have got to know them. Yeah. Because it is not fun if you don't, do not know classical pieces, or it is not fun if you don't know your artworks, things like that. Because it'll be like, oh, it was painted by somebody in the 18th century. <laughs> Guess what? If you don't know your 18th century artist, you're not going to know that one. No. Um, I think I suck at that game. <laughs> yeah, I was terrible but i really i really bought it because i wanted to see how uh Simichan did with it because she really likes 
music and yep. things like that. And she did really, really well. Oh my goodness gracious. She was so good. Um, but I think that you can definitely tell it's in the early stages of its development because the app didn't always work quite right. Um, so when you um, choose the artwork or the piece, whichever version you're playing, um, you know, you take the card out and then you put it in your pile to score later. And it keeps track of your score on the on the app anyway. But, you know, you, yeah. you take it out. Um, but it kept giving us repeats that we had oh. already taken. And it doesn't really give you a uh, like a, a choice to like pass or anything like that. So then you have to give somebody a point randomly yeah. in order to move on to the next one. Um, they also have one um, for the symphony version of it um, where I think it's a cool idea where it's just like you're supposed to be like hearing the music in another room or something like that or like over the sound of a train. Yeah. So it's harder to hear, but you actually can't hear the music at all. So it's just like little things like that that I'm like, the concept for the game is good. And I think it would work for people who are really interested in this kind of thing or as an educational tool or something like that. I think that that it would be a fun game to do that with. Yeah. But for right now, like they need to get that app working. And I've actually already sent them an email uh, saying like, hey, like this game is not really working super well. Um, but I do think it has some good promise to be used. Like if I was a teacher... Yeah. for music or I was a teacher for um, art class and I just wanted like a game to use for the classroom, this would be such a good one, I think. Yeah. So yeah, that was Art Frenzy. Uh, I can't even find the designer on here, which is not a great sign, but it is by the people at Design and Play. Okay, so um, my uh, last Essen game that I managed to play, um, so this one I managed to take along to board game evening again, um was the game five towers so this was pitched to me after the weird animal rock paper scissors thing that i mentioned earlier um and at first it looked like a kind of reiner knizia lost cities kind of game where you're collecting things and going up in a sense well actually going down in descending numbers and um building these towers in five different colors um the thing that kind of caught me on the game and sold me on the game is as they were explaining the mechanisms of it, um, I was looking very closely, well, looking at the art and seeing lots of little things going on on these towers. So as you build them, the tower gets taller and taller. And the nice thing is as the number gets smaller, the tower pinches inwards. So they're mm -hmm. kind of joined together like a jigsaw puzzle. Um, but on each pit of the tower, there was a different, uh, what they called Easter egg. Um, so the first one I spotted was in the tree tower. There was a massive Totoro, <laughs> um, which, huh. yeah, was an interesting surprise. And then as I looked deeper and deeper into it, there was, you know, Alien, there was Star Wars, there was an Ewok somewhere, uh, there was Wednesday from Netflix. And as you look deeper and deeper, you find things like Mario and it all continues. I was like, how are they doing this? Or like, are they not like terrified of doing this and getting chased by all these IPs? Clearly not. Uh, if you go into their board game geek thing, there's lots of zoom ins on the Easter eggs from the publishers themselves. So they must be fine with it. And it's clearly got through someone's board. Um, so um, I picked it up. I quite like those kind of Rhino Knizia keep building up, but don't block yourself off by jumping too far kind of games. Um, the artwork was very nice. And um, yeah, it, it just kind of, shocked me a little bit to be honest so i was like i'll get a couple of these um took it along to game night 
Um, we played it at five player, um, which I think is its max player count. The mechanics of it, really, really nice. Um, there's two special cards. There's an eight and a nine. One allows you to reset. I think nine is you reset to nine and then you can continue from there. So you can play a nine on anything and then it resets from nine. So you, you jump back up the numbers. An eight can only be played on a higher number, but then you can play anything you want above it. So you can reset it that way. So it allows you to make your towers taller. And it's it's not the kind of game that I thought it was in that it's mainly a bidding game. So it's got mm. that feeling of skulking. Not not skulking, that's that's the wrong game. Uh skull and roses. So or liar's dice. So in a five-player game, you have the deck of cards, you deal out five cards face up into the market deck in the middle, and then the first player will bid on how many of those towers they want to take. Okay. Um, and they have to take them and they have to be able to legally place them. So if you can't, they all go back to the market and the next person down in the bid gets to take them instead, um, which is a bit fiddly. But to be honest, it didn't happen because it was we all noticed it was fiddly and we didn't bother with like taking it if we couldn't. The other thing you can do is when you do take them is you're allowed to take apart one part of your, take the top off one of your towers that you've already placed. So if something's blocking you, you can bin it, but it gets you a negative point at the end. So rounds, when you realize it's a bidding game like that, you rounds turn over fairly quick, but only one person mm. is going to be building their towers each turn. So I would argue it's a better two-player game, despite not having played it at two or a three-player game, because with five players, the majority of the time, you're bidding, but you're not building anything, so you don't really care. Whereas uh-huh, if it's, I see. it's a tighter group... Also, the the deck is thinner in in those player counts as well, so you'll turn around the game a bit quicker. It does feel like it drags at four and five, but it like the mechanisms and everything else actually to me indicate it's a, it's a two to three player game. Um, I think they've bolted in a couple of extra cards because you have to add extra ones in just to get the player count up and make it look better on the box. Um, but yeah, mm. um, I'm going to give it a go with two and three this week, um, which I'm quite looking forward to, to be honest um but yeah i don't think i'd play it at five again at the end the scoring is a point for every card in your towers doesn't matter what the number is if you manage to put a zero onto the top of your tower that's the tower top so that'll have like a like pointy tower on it or something else or a bell tower or the eye of sauron totally not the eye of sauron (laughs) the eye of boron maybe Uh, (laughs) yeah (laughs) definitely not ip infringing copy yeah of um so uh if you get that on the top that means that each card in that tower is worth two points instead of one so you can double that up and then your tallest tower scores an additional point for each card in it as well which sounds way too complicated but actually is really easy when it comes to scoring um it's basically count all your cards count the ones in the tower again and then if you've got the tallest tower count it again like kind of simple uh, you go through the deck once and then you flip over the discard pile, give it a shuffle, and then you go through it a second time. As soon as that deck finishes, that's the end of the game. So even if someone discards the cards that you didn't that you wanted, they do come up again, which is quite oh, nice. Okay. So you'll be like, oh no, they got rid of the top of my tower that I've been building for ages. It's in the discard pile. As long as it's in the first round, it's coming back around and you've got another chance to get it. So mm-hmm. um but yeah, I, 
a good solid game. I just I'm a bit a little bit worried about how long it's going to be around for. So, <laughs> um, yeah. Did you see that one when you were there, or? Um, actually, I don't think I did. I definitely though um somehow managed to go to Europe to get Asian games somehow. <laughs> like I lit I like seriously, it was so weird. I ended up getting like only three European games. Yeah. And then everything else is from Japan or Korea or Taiwan. I'm just like, what 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 did I do? Is it the same thing as so when I was looking at games, a big part of my decision was the size of the games so that I could get them back. Mm-hmm. Like if I picked up big box games, that means I can fill a suitcase in four games. Like, and you don't want to be carrying them around either. Like, because you're going to have to carry them around the market. You're going to have, so you instinct, or at least I do, I instinctively went for all really small stuff. So anything about the size of an Amigo game, straight in the, like, I'll get a few of them. As soon as the box was a little bit bigger, I think the biggest box I bought back was uh, South Shore, uh, which is getting a UK print, but I still want to play it. And that's not a huge box. Like, that's about the size of kind of those Cosmos Lost Cities boxes. Oh, yeah, that's not big at all. So that's the biggest box I got back. But realistically, I wouldn't want to be hauling it around the market halls. No. Yeah, I wonder whether that's part of it, but... Is there a game that you that you got that you are most looking forward to from here? Um, yeah, so <laughs> I've shipped back stuff in three. So there was my package, and then two people have, have bought it back in their luggage, and I'm picking it up from them, or they've shipped it back with DHL. Um, but there's uh, quite a few copies of Rebel Princess, which I was really excited about playing before we went. Uh, I'm still re- really excited to play it. But unfortunately, I put it in one of their bags, so it hasn't arrived yet. Um, so Yeah, you sold me on it. I have a copy as well. I also didn't realize until I was there that there's two modes for it. There's like introductory mode and advanced mode. Um, so that's quite a nice feature, I think, with Trick Takers, where you can start off with just bare bones for teaching and then ramp it up once you've got your hand, head round kind of mechanics of that. So, yeah, I'm still very much looking forward to that one. I've also got two games with hedgehogs on. I don't know whether they're good, but they've got hedgehogs on, so I'm sure I'll get back to them. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think Rebel Princess is, is the one that I'm most looking forward to playing. Um, how about you? Have you got one that's at the top of the pile ready to go? Yeah, or? I think we're going to... I'm I'm reading the rule book for Match of the Century, which is like the spiritual successor to Watergate. Okay. Uh, Timothan and I loved playing that game together, um, Watergate. So I'm looking forward to seeing what the, this one is uh, supposed to be representative of the USA versus Russia chess match during the Cold War. I mean, I yeah, I did. I bounced really hard off Watergate, but I think it's the theme because I know nothing about the theme and nothing about any of the people there. So I kind of like didn't really hit with me at all. And they seem to have picked yet another very dry theme that I know nothing about. So I kind of wish they'd just stick some bright colors on it and make it a bit less historical <laughs> um and then i might be a bit more interested in it but you know i'm sure there's people who are the other way around so maybe it's just not yeah. for me yeah see i'm i'm the other way around like i liked the watergate theme mm. i thought it was really interesting and then this one is not really one that i'm super super interested in but i am interested in in the idea that they like made a game about a game it's also interesting that they've done it the year after they bought out the Queen's Gambit game. 
Yeah. Which was which didn't really sell very well to my understanding because people just went, surely this is just chess. And then they didn't look any deeper than that. Like it isn't chess. It's it's its own game in its own right. But the immediate reaction to anyone who sees the box cover is why have you called chess the Queen's Gambit? Um so I have a feeling it might suffer from that same book cover kind of thing going on. But my laptop is about to die. So I think that's going to be all the time we have for today. Thank you very much, Ben, for joining us on another episode. And just a reminder that, again, you you can start uh, following us on our social media accounts that we will put in the show description below to start getting entered into those giveaways. Just so you know that if you follow us on YouTube or Twitter or Instagram and stuff like that, just stay followed. Don't like follow us and then unsubscribe because you'll be continually entered into all of the giveaways that we do between now and the new years. So that's, it's going to be the same qualification, like the same uh, conditions for all of the giveaways. So stay with it until thank you so much, everyone for listening today. Arigatou gozaimashita. Until next time. じゃあね。じゃあね。<laughs>